Blue Wire. With the first pick in the 2009 NFL Draft, the Detroit Lions select Matthew Stafford. Stafford, step it up, going left side, watch Calvin, Enzo, got him, oh baby, that was a rocket! And it's picked off, intercepted by Darius Slade. Hello and welcome to episode 46 of The Michael Rothstein Show. I'm your host, Michael Rothstein, and this episode is presented by betonline.ag, where if you log on, you can get a 100% welcome bonus with the code BLUEWIRE. That's a 100% welcome bonus with your first deposit, all by using the code BLUEWIRE. So check it out. Thanks, as always, for listening to the show and checking us out, whether you're listening to us while you're on a run, while you're social distancing correctly, or while you're in your house, or making food, or for some reason having your entire family come and sit around the cell phone or the laptop and and listen to me chat for a bit. Really, really appreciate that. So I think it's week three now of of isolation or self-isolation, social distancing here in Michigan. At least it is for me. I uh, have bought a guitar that I still haven't played all that much, learned how to play a little bit of an E chord and an A chord. I have an automatic tuner. That's on my list of things to do this weekend. Not much sports on, obviously. There's been some eSports, some iRacing. I think that those things have both been really interesting. I'm Kind of fascinated to possibly see some of the 2K tournament. ESPN, my employer, is bringing back, bring, pushing up the Michael Jordan Chicago Bulls documentary to mid-April. I'm really excited about that as well. But otherwise, it's been a lot of reading books. Just finished a book called Normal People. Now I'm reading Bad Blood and playing a lot of video games. I'm playing some Madden, some 2K, some FIFA. If anybody's down with that, I'll gladly play you. And uh, if you are anything like my good friend's 11-year-old son, you will probably annihilate me. It was embarrassing. I think uh, I am a decent Madden player, and he just took me to school. It was um, it was kind of sad, actually. And I've also been, I think as I mentioned in a prior podcast, watching all of the Marvel movies and series in order. Uh, if I do get through all of them by the time this is done, I might do a special Marvel movie podcast with uh, a couple of Twitter followers who have really pushed me to kind of keep doing this. Uh, as of April 1st, I have gotten through a whole bunch of stuff, got through, I just finished Thor The Dark World last night, and I'm going to dig in on some of the back end of the first season of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. this evening. It's It's been a good distraction, actually. I, you, I forgot how good some of the movies in particular were, and maybe should have watched Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. while I was... Um, well, it was on the air first run because I've actually quite enjoyed it. But it's been definitely something that's been fun to follow and a good thing to take away from the day-to-day that we are now living in. 
which uh, I live alone. So that can be a little bit daunting at times if we're being really honest here. Like some days I don't even remember exactly what day it is. I woke up today. It's Wednesday and I thought it was Tuesday or Thursday. And that's been happening for a couple of weeks now. And, you know, it's just kind of um, the monotony we go through. So that way all of our first responders and all of our hospital staffs are safe and they have their best chance of flattening the curve so that way all of us can try to go back to our normal semblance of a life sooner rather than later, hopefully, as we all continue to practice social distancing, washing our hands, and really thanking our medical professionals. I have friends who are doctors. My sister-in-law is a nurse down in North Carolina, and every time I talk with them and hear their stories, it's it's heartbreaking and and you can hear their concern and their fear and, and that really drives it home even more for me as I sit on my couch and on my chair and try to just do my part. So as far as doing all of our parts, hopefully this podcast will be a little bit of a distraction for you. Not much has happened in the world of the Lions since we last spoke on Monday, but We do have a really entertaining guest on today's show. He has been one of my favorite Lions that I've covered in my seven-plus seasons following the team. I actually covered him briefly when he was at Virginia Tech. Daryl Tapp is an assistant coach now at his alma mater. He's very entertaining. He's very funny. And we talked for, oh, I guess about an hour in hopefully a conversation you will really enjoy. And that conversation is coming up right after this break. Before we get to the break, just want to mention really quick, if there are people you want to hear from, let me know. Shoot me a note on Twitter or Instagram uh, in the reviews where obviously you can leave a five-star review and definitely subscribe and download uh, on Spotify, on Apple, on Google, on Overwatch and Stitcher. But yeah, let us know who you want to hear from, what you want to hear about. Obviously, we're we're still in a world without sports, and, and we don't know how long that's going to last. So always trying to do what I can to make you, my audience, happy. We'll be back right after this break. With currently no NBA, NHL, or Major League Baseball, you might think there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong. Our exclusive partner, Bet Online, still has hundreds of sports, events, and games to wager on. Or let them bring Vegas to you with their online casino and blackjack. It's all open 24 hours a day. It's all online, including their $750,000 poker series. If you're into props and entertainment betting, you can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol stock prices, even the weather as I stare outside and it's yet another gray day. Visit their website and join today to receive a 100% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Be sure to use the promo code BLUEWIRE. Bet online, your online wagering experts. Now, back to our show. My guest on the Michael Rothstein show today played with the Lions earlier this decade, or I guess kind of technically last decade now. He was one of the best people to talk to in the locker room when he was in Detroit. He bounced around the NFL a little bit in his career, went to Seattle, went to Philly, went to Washington. And he was, at least when he was in Detroit, the media good guy for at least one season. <laughs> he is Daryl Taft. Daryl, welcome to the show. Man, thanks for having me. 
So let's just start right here, right? Like obviously the big conversation with everybody right now is what you're doing in quarantine, what you're doing in the world. So how is Daryl Tapp dealing with quarantine and dealing with uh, life these days? Well, life is going pretty, pretty dang good for me. I can't complain. I was uh, last season, I, I got into coaching two years, three years ago now. First stop was Central Michigan. Uh, last year I was at Vanderbilt University at the Special Teams QC, and now I'm back at home at Virginia Tech as a defensive line coach, and I'm working in tandem with uh, Bill Terling. So I can't complain, man. Back at my home school where I was able to make a name for myself and represent my my state and my family, and and open up a lot of doors for me football-wise and even afterwards. So I'm excited about being back home and and just enjoying the whole process. So most currently I've been been recruiting. That's the only thing we can really do because of the, the current state of not just the, the state, but the world. You know, we had, we're in a, a worldwide uh, crisis right now. So self-quarantining and making sure we do our best to stay stay healthy and, and clean for, for ourselves and for the world. So we're just doing our part right now, but recruiting, talking to the guys on the phone and, and reaching out to our players on our team to try to put in the defense uh, via Zoom and FaceTime and all that good stuff. So it's definitely been a, a fun challenge as of, as of late. So, all right, let's, there, there's a lot to unpack there and we're going to get to it all. I, I want to first start with quarantining, right? Like, so what are you doing? Like, because you have a couple of kids. Yeah, what, like, yeah. what's what's that like? What's like your day like self quarantining? Is it a lot of movies? Is it, I think you posted something on Instagram about like shooting baskets. I'm assuming you have a basketball <laughs> court somewhere here. Like and you were showing yourself lifting weights. Like what's Daryl Tapp's quarantine life like? So I get up at seven o'clock and I get in my uh, hour and a half, two hour workout. Uh, would that be cardio? in our theater i have an elliptical or spin bike and a step meal in there or i have a garage gym set up for my days of playing and preparing in the nfl uh i do that in the midst of doing that i'll take a like a 15 minute break or so and i'll call and check on my d-line guys here at virginia tech and make sure they have a plan for the day academic wise um and then we have a staff meeting around 10 o'clock via zoom uh, team-wide and defensive and, and full staff. By that time, my kids are now starting to wake up and, and, and run around the house and do silly stuff. <laughs> um, we'll get those guys, my wife and I get those guys fed and kind of set up. And then I'm back on the computer doing evaluations of players across the nation by getting that stuff sent into the recruiting department. Uh, usually around one o'clock, it's starting to taper off a little bit, and I can get lunch and hang out with the kids for a little bit. Um, then we you know, we'll we'll probably watch a watch a movie or two or uh, play some games. And I'm still throughout the course of the day, things kind of my mind about things I want to tell the players or emphasize. Once we are finally able to get back to football at some point in time, back in Blacksburg, uh, get those typed out on on a PowerPoint or on Microsoft Word. Uh, and other than that, just a kind of a fluid day. By, by five o'clock, six o'clock, I'll double check in with the, the guys on our uh, team, D-line wise, make sure everything went according to plan. And there's no surprises academic wise. I get outside with the kids, play 
play ball or catch or ride scooters. And then we're getting ready for dinner around seven, eight. Uh, the kids really don't have a full-time school schedule because they know they're not going to school the next day. So they're up later than, than usual. <laughs> right, right. I don't think they went to sleep last night till like 10 o'clock or so. Uh, my wife and I hang out, watch something random on, on Hulu or, or TV, shut it down, watch, rinse, repeat. <laughs> so what do you what are you and uh what are you Tiffany watching right now on Hulu? Like is it are you guys into a series at the moment or we just uh binge watched the uh Tiger King. Oh wow man, everybody's watching that. <laughs> I know. I I've had multiple reviews from coaches uh that said tap you gotta watch it or change your life. <laughs> so <laughs> we we checked that out and then I just started Ozark yesterday. Oh, oh Ozark's amazing! And wait, so yeah. did you start season one, or did you st- are you at season three? Like, have you watched the first no, season? No, season one. I haven't got into it at all. So I just got into it, and I think it hooked me when I was doing cardio this morning. Oh uh, man, so you're in, so so. I'm big in Ozark, right? Like season one, season two for me were. I think I wa- might have watched the first season legitimately in a day, which you know, I, I, <laughs> I well, all right. Let's be fair. I have no. No wife, no kids. I think I was dating someone at that time. So I have this luxury called free time anyway. But yeah, oh no, it, um, it's awesome. I, I'm trying to parse out the, or ration out the episodes of Ozark at the moment. So that way I don't completely binge watch all of them and then be like, well, that was... That was killer, but I know people have done it, and they're like, they want to talk to me about the season and like the whole season, and I'm like, no, 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 I watched one episode. <laughs> and I did that. My wife was telling me about the Game of Thrones. I'm like, I'm not watching that. And then like, I think like my last year, my last all season, I was in the league when I didn't have, a, of course, I didn't have a job college wide where I had commitment, so I literally work out in the morning at six. The kids would be uh, in school, and I would literally – I binge-watched season one uh, in a day. I was up to, like, four in the morning, <laughs> and I was all the way in. So I know I know myself, and I can see it getting that way now because Ozark just got me hooked in the first episode. So I'm like, uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, oh, no, you're in trouble now. And it, it gets no, – I'm not going to do it. No spoilers here, but it gets really good the middle of season one. All right. I can't wait. And, and I'll give you, I will give you one like semi spoiler, but it's not really a spoiler. Like the Detroit Lions are mildly involved in in one episode really? of Ozark. Really? Yeah, I'm not gonna say anything else. Oh man! <laughs> <laughs> but but they are mildly involved, if I remember correctly. Which I mean, it's been a couple of years, so I may have completely been wrong here. But if I remember right, and my brain's kind of addled at the moment, they are involved in one episode. So you're you're in quarantine. Like, have the kids gotten you like watching more? Or are you in, like do you and Tiffany like split stuff with them during the day? How does that go? Uh, no, I'm quarantined at home now. Coach Fuente sent us home uh, two weeks ago now. So I'm back at home. Uh, so as soon as I walked in, it was, it was daddy, daddy daycare time. <laughs> and, and rightfully so, because my wife has been doing a phenomenal job handling these little people while I've been away. Uh, so the time that I get to be at home with the kids and give her a break, uh, I'm all for it, and she's doing real estate stuff too, keeping herself occupied and busy. So, we'll 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 switch off, but it's more so myself um, right now, just because she does it all year long, pretty much 
by herself. I'm remotely <laughs> helping out. Uh, but what? she does she does all the cooking. So actually, you just you just brought up something. So you didn't move to Blacksburg full time then, correct? Nope, I did not. Home is still uh still outside of D.C. and Ashburn. So that's that's home base in in Blacksburg. I've rented a place so that when Tiffany kids come up with my family, who's sure to come up again this year, when they come up, we have some space, but home base will always be uh, in Ashburn. So how how do you manage that? Because you weren't doing that when you were playing, correct? Like, if I remember right. So, like, how do you manage that as a coach? Because it's not like you have a six-month NFL season and then you can go home for six months. Like, you got to be around. No, we're all, you always had this home. We had this home since, like, 2014. Okay. And uh, I would go to training camp. By the time we got to the third or fourth preseason game, Tiff and the kids would come out to where we played. We always we rented there, too. Yeah. Uh, they'll come out. They'll stay as soon as the season was over, get the keys back to where we rented from, and then come back home. So we did the same thing. Uh, just it, It's just more expanded now than the fact that, you know, I'm always away now. Right. So, but it's still, still the same parameters. At least with Tech, it's a three-hour drive, and that's my wife's driving limit anyway. At Vanderbilt, it was an hour and 10-minute flight, and we're like 15 minutes from the airport. Central Michigan probably the hardest place because you had to fly into Detroit and then drive two hours from uh, DTW up to Central Michigan. Oh. So every, every year it's been getting a little bit easier for us commute-wise uh, on, on her and the kids. So, okay, just to understand this. So do they then spend football season in Blacksburg and then the second half of the year in Ashburn or because the kids are of the age where they're in school now, do they just stay in Ashburn the whole year and, and you're the one kind of bouncing back and forth? I'm so they stay in, in, in Ashburn, uh, pretty much most of the year because they're in their own activities as well. They've been following me around when I play ball so much. I was like, look, you guys be comfortable in your surroundings. Uh, so they'll come out to all our home games. And then also me being back at Virginia Tech, all of our games are pretty within two, three hours. So they'll be able to come to a whole lot of away games. I think the only the only away games that would be hard to get to would probably be Miami, Florida State. Uh, but Clemson is probably the furthest driving, and that's six hours away. Pittsburgh is probably like four or five. And then everywhere else in the, in the whole North Carolina tree, that's about three, four hours. So it's not, it's not bad at all. Not ideal. Uh, because we're definitely family-oriented and we love being around one another, but it's, it's, it's work. we make it work. So for you, I mean, what would it take to move the family permanently? Like, if you're say you're at Tech five years, like at some point do you guys have that conversation or does it become, all right, I'm a defensive coordinator now, that's when you make that move, or I'm a head coach, that's when you make that move? Or does that move never happen until, you know, the kids are 18, 19 years old and it's just the two of you? Um, we've talked about it. Now, had I got a job at Washington State or Hawaii or somewhere, they were going. Okay. But with it being so close and on the East Coast, it just doesn't make sense. Like I said, they're doing their own activities. It's not like they're sitting around at home waiting on me. My wife is excelling at being a real estate agent. Uh, just, just, she's closing on the house right now that she's selling, uh, helping, helping somebody buy now. The kids are doing the activities. Deuce is playing a second-year flag football and swimming. Taylor is doing swimming and doing soccer. Uh, so they're doing their own activities. It's kind of selfish on my behalf. Selfish on my behalf to ask them to, to pick up 
and to come with me and I'm coaching because as a coach, the hours are a lot different than being a player. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> I have it's more time than I'm at work uh, in comparison to being a player. So I, I want them to be comfortable and be happy. Uh, but we'd already discussed that if I went to the good lord, <laughs> I went to the uh, West Coast that her and the kids were coming. So what is, you hinted at it a little bit, but what is it like to coach right now in the era of quarantine? Because y'all will be going through spring practice. You have interaction with the players all the time. What's it like as a college football coach in this present day moment? It's frustrating. <laughs> I'm not going not gonna to lie to you. Uh, I never imagined that my first year of coaching, I'll be going through so many different issues and hoops. Um, that has been presented to us now with the, the whole virus. I mean, this thing has been a total game changer, not just athletically, but from a world standpoint, everything has pretty much come to a screeching halt. Um, but with that said, I have an appreciation for what I have the opportunity to do. First year coaching, full-time have my own position group. Guys are looking to me. I'm helping out with the school since I played there. Went there, graduated from Virginia Tech, helping uh, to bring attention here. So it's all been been fun because it's something that I truly love to do. But it has not been what I thought it would be initially just because I haven't had the opportunity to really get around the guys and coach them up yet because we weren't supposed to start spring ball until after spring break. And during, during spring break is when the whole coronavirus really took off here in the States and things got shut down. So it's been an interesting situation, but – like I said, I'm, I'm still all in and excited about it. We're just trying to figure it out. So do you even know your guys? Or... I do. I was hired December the 18th, and that was right during bowl prep before they played in the Belk Bowl against Kentucky. So I got to spend a whole week around those guys there. We had probably like three weeks off, and I came back. We all came back uh, the 14th of January. And right at that time, those guys really just focusing on schoolwork and doing their all-season lifts. So I was able to interact with those guys. Those guys did a great job coming up to meet myself, Coach Cherling, uh, Coach Ryan Smith, the D-back coach, and Coach Clay is the new linebacker coach. They came up to really get around us and see what we're all about. So there's a huge comfort factor there. Um, like I said, but I just haven't been able to put my hands on them completely to help those guys out and what we're trying to get accomplished. But those guys have been awesome, FaceTiming, talk, calling, communication. Uh, just growing that relationship so those guys have trust in me and vice versa for them. Are you almost maybe getting to know them better as people because of this versus Definitely. otherwise? Definitely. I'm getting to see what makes these guys tick, uh, where they stand academic-wise, where their interests are um, outside of football, where their family life are. And, and it's been more slowed down from that standpoint. I think that trying to do that in the midst of spring ball can sometimes get lost. And I think that we're growing as an entire unit. Um, like I said, it's seeing what, I get, what I'm all about. Like I said, being a guy that played at Tech, graduated from Tech, they were able to go to the league and play for a long time. And like I said, the other D-line coach, Coach Cherling, he's coaching the league for a long time. He's from a, a lineage. His dad is one of the OGs for our defensive line play in the league. So those guys have tons of resources to come gain information about the game itself and just life experiences, how we handle day-to-day -day stuff. Uh, so that part has been, it's been fun. 
So when you're doing, like, when you decide to go to Virginia Tech, obviously you've been at Vanderbilt for the for a year. Was it the allure of being able to work with defensive linemen, or was it the fact that you're going back to your alma mater? What what really drew you in to saying, all right, this is the move I want to make? It was all of the above. It was literally the perfect storm of good things. Um, last year at Vanderbilt, I was able to learn so much from working with Devin. Simmons, the special teams coordinator there. He coached me when I played for the Lions. Uh, he was the assistant special teams coordinator there, and he brought me on as his as his GA. Well, it's QC. I'm too old to be a GA, <laughs> but <laughs> but as his QC last year, and he trained me up. I mean, that was his main goal. He said, by the end of this season, you're gonna have your own position group, or you're gonna be a coordinator somewhere, and or in 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 a field as a coach. I was like, okay, and he really poured into me, myself every day and held me to a high standard. It wasn't, you no, know, no, Tap was my guy and he played for me. Like, he treated me like his equal uh, and he coached me up on how to handle different situations as a coach, how to handle relationships with players, uh, held me to strict timelines for our game planning, uh, things of that nature, and it really helped out a lot. And sure enough, once the season was over at Vanderbilt and December was coming and was cleaning up uh, film and and teach, making teach tapes for the upcoming year, Tech gave me a call, and I had my opportunity. Uh, coach Fu, Coach Fuente gave me gave me the call. Um, legendary coach, Coach Foster, Bud Foster, was stepping down after 32 years at the helm. And to replace him, I can't say replace, you can't replace a legend, but somebody stepping in, giving him the keys to the car is Justin Hamilton. Jay Ham and myself played together from 02 to 05 at Tech. I mean, we've been linked ever since. He blocked the kick against UVA, and I picked it up and scored. So we've been brothers, know each other's about, uh, and we know what we want to do here at Tech because this is home for us. So this is not just a job. Like, this is a, a truly a dream come true, but this is personal. Like, I'm not looking to jump somewhere else. I want to make sure my home school and the, the turf that I played on is represented the right way, and that's the same way he sees things. And they had the opportunity to build a defense from the ground up. I can't pass that up. I mean, everywhere else I'd have been, I'd have been an implant, you know, just stepping into somebody else's defense. And that's fine. But you never really have the opportunity where you can step in with a, a new defensive coordinator, a new staff that has a lot of experience in different, different areas, and literally build a defense up from terminology to scheme to alignment from ground zero. Like, that's been the funnest thing ever. Uh, I don't take that lightly. So, like I said, the perfect perfect storm of just good things that I just couldn't say no. So, did you and Justin talk about this possibility beforehand? Like, had he ever said, hey, if I ever become a D.C., wherever that is, I want you to come with me? Or was this kind of out of the blue? Out of the blue. Like, Justin has been on the, the coaching trail for the last, I believe, seven years. And he came out of, came out of Tech the same time as me. And we had probably – tied for now the the most guys drafted in tech history in the, the year and i think i think it was at nine or 11 guys that got drafted in oh uh an oh six draft from tech uh, he played four or five years uh and then he got right into coaching and we we had talked sparingly here and there i think the last time i really talked to him uh was at a spring game when i got inducted into the hall of, well I, yeah the spring game before i got inducted to the hall of fame uh we got to speak for for a hot second um, but never knew that it would it would happen the way it did, man. And for Jay Ham to even think about me and to remember me and know that I was on the trail myself, 
uh, just a huge compliment to our relationship. Like, what now? What fifteen years ago, we graduated from Tech, and those four years prior toward that three years prior towards that, you know, we really built a brotherhood where, you know, we can count on one another at any time and know what we're all about. Like, there's no, there's no uh, thought that I won't hold up my end of the bargain, and there's no thought on his half that he won't because. We're dedicated to this process. This is home. So, so it wasn't like you guys were like boys for fifteen, you know, for like ten years talking about Good lord, what was like, that? <laughs> the, the people you're doing yard work. It's like everywhere I go in my house, they like outside that window. <laughs> so, so, but you know, seriously, like they, so it's not like you guys were talking every week for ten years and this was planned. No, not okay. at all. Like, cause I me, mean, I. You know how coaching is and players like you kind of get into your routine, your creatures yeah. of habit, and uh, you get to talk to each other every once in a while. But since he was coaching and I was, I was playing, like our path didn't always cross. So, no, nah, this is something that kind of was just literally out of the blue that it happened. Like I got the first, the first wind of it that, you know, Coach Foster was stepping down, and I was like, man, this sucks. Like that's that's my guy, Coach Foster. And then they said, well, we're thinking about giving Jay Ham the keys to the car. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's amazing. Like, he's going to do a phenomenal job. And we're like, well, yeah. One of the first people he asked for, they tried to build his staff with you. I'm like, oh, oh my goodness. <laughs> so it's just been a, it's been a, a awesome experience so far. And like I said, I, we're all into it for the right reasons. Like, this is not a, a stepping stone job. This is the yeah. job. Like, it's, it's very rare. As a coach, you get to go back to your alma mater and and literally help guys walk the same path that you did years ago. So we had that chance to build a defense from the ground up, make it what we wanted to make it in, and see Tech go into the take the next step. So what when you were coaching under Fitz Simmons last year, what it was the one thing that maybe surprised you that you learned from, or maybe even Bono two years ago that you kind of were like, I had no idea about this when it came to coaching and all my years of playing. Um, how frustrated that us as players can make coaches. <laughs> I think I think that the players definitely always want to do the best they can for the team, but in a process we can can uh rub coaches hot sometimes because <laughs> coaches put so much work so much work and preparation into uh game plan and getting guys ready and then us as players sometimes we go rogue <laughs> i totally i totally get it now <laughs> is that like now that you're on the other side of things is has there been a time where you thought back and you're like oh man like i completely did that coach wrong <laughs> No, I think I think of more so as a young player when you first get in, uh, expectations, what you're trying to do, and not understanding the total, the total landscape of the of the team game. And I think don't think I really got a grasp of that probably year three. In college three, or the NFL? Yeah. No, in the league. Oh man, so like, so when you look back at it now, like those first couple of years in Seattle, like what did you do to like frustrate coaches where you're like, oh man, like. I, Man, my coaches must have just been so pissed at me for that. <laughs> um, like just like just mental mistakes. Mental mistakes is something I would tell any player in any sport. If you don't know what you're doing, when they put you on that field, you would never play again. 
And that's such a true thing because you don't create any trust from that head coach. Now, in my first two years, I made sure I stayed in the vets' pockets, Bryce, Bryce uh, Fisher, Grant Wisham, Patrick Kearney. I stayed in those guys, Corey Redding. I stayed in those guys' pockets, and they showed me the right way to do things. Uh, and then once I found out the right way to do things, I was able to focus on the playbook and see not, and understand not only my job, but everybody's job on the front line and what we're trying to do as a total defense. And that's when I started taking off and became that player coach on the field. And I was able to help young guys along. But those first two years, I was literally going off of this talent and doing what the older vets said uh, that really were for me and wanted to see me do good. Do you have to, I mean, as a young player, did you have to just kind of go and blindly trust some of those older guys? Or could you suss out, all right, this guy might have my best interest at heart, and this guy might tell me this one thing, but it also might be an ulterior motive to keep me from playing because he wants to keep his job? Right. Now, you definitely have to have that mindset. Um, I learned, you know, Jim Davis put me on game when he got into the league. Uh, he played at Virginia Tech, and a couple of the guys I know Virginia Tech that played in the league, they say, always keep your eyes open. Um, but honestly, when I got to Seattle, that team was just such a well-run team from Coach Holmgren uh, with so many veteran leaders. And the trust of those guys was instant. Because they only wanted to see me do good. Those guys that literally came to the doorstep and win the Super Bowl, uh, and they lost to the Steelers in 05. So they weren't in a place to where they were trying to keep young guys from playing and becoming the guy. They were trying to win. <laughs> so <laughs> I walked into the league at the perfect time where there was no, there was no egos uh, on that team. Um, and everybody wanted the, the, the main goal, and I was getting the ring. So I had a lot of veteran leaders that showed me the right way to do things. The trust of those guys was equal. And I was, I was truly raised the right way once I got into the NFL. Before we get too far in the NFL, I do want to ask one more college question, which is what is the Daryl Tapp recruiting pitch? Because I think some people have seen mm. that video where you're walking through, you know, the tunnel. I know I saw oh, it. Oh, yeah. But, like, what's the Daryl Tapp recruiting pitch? Like, you, you're talking to a kid, you're talking to a family. Sell. sell. Like, what, what's that like? Because, I mean, I know you well enough to know, like, you've got some energy to you. Like, I, I'm yeah. just kind of trying to imagine at least audio, like, what's that, what that, like, what that pitch is like. Well, in a nutshell, I get a guy know who I am, Daryl Tapp, and I played here at Tech from 02 to 05, uh, graduating three and a half years in marketing, all ACC, all American, drafted second round in the NFL. Went through the teams that I played for, played 12 years, uh, no major injuries, worst I got, broken third, middle finger, uh, middle, middle ring finger, well, can't say middle ring film. <laughs> broken no, no, third, broken right hand ring finger. <laughs> I tore my pec, missed three games. I mean, missed uh, three games, no surgery. Cracked my right rib, uh, missed one game, no surgery. And then by that time, I got their attention and their hook because now I've done everything that they want to be and want to do. I graduated. I've been a student athlete at the same school that I'm working for. I uh, was All-American. All ACC, which also goes on pretty much everybody's list. And I was playing in the NFL, not just as a, hey, I got in as a practice squad guy. No offense to those guys, but I was able to play and last in the league for a dozen years. That doesn't happen, especially in this day and age in the NFL, because it's, what, 2.7 years? Yeah. So I was able to play at a high level for multiple teams 
uh, as a DN, a D tackle, outside linebacker, <laughs> special teams. Like I've had a lot of experience in a lot of different areas, and I'm not an old guy. Like I literally just retired three years ago. <laughs> so I speak the exact same language these guys speak now. Listen to the exact same music these guys are listening to, and I'm not that far removed. And that's probably the thing that gets guys interested. Where we have like really detailed talk, uh, not just one time but numerous times. Uh, so that's my that's my my pitch and how I get into stuff, you know, selling tech on such a great program and university that it is. So do when you're talking to high school kids, do they still know who you are as an NFL player, or do you have like do you guys be like, oh yeah, I played with you on that, and or like I yeah I remember yeah. watching you in Detroit or in Philly or in Seattle, like or do you kind of have to explain who you are because let's be honest, you know, you played for a dozen years, but you're a defensive lineman. <laughs> but I got sacks though. <laughs> but um, no, surprisingly, the teams that I played for and the kids that I'm recruiting go hand in hand. Because Tech, Tech's main territory to recruit is you know, Virginia, Maryland, uh, North Carolina, South Carolina, Atlanta, as far as the areas that I'm in mostly. Mm-hmm. And those are the teams that I played for uh, that got a lot of attention. And then, of course, playing with powerhouses like. Uh, Seattle and, and New Orleans and, and Tampa with some of the attention they're getting. I mean, the teams that I've played have matched up and helped me on the recruiting process that I am now. So, so it's been pretty cool. So let, let's jump into the NFL career. Like when, at what point do you realize you're going to be, have a chance to be an NFL player? Like, does that happen before tech? Does that happen at tech? At tech. So, my whole thing for playing football was trying to get to school without having my parents have to pay. That was the only reason. I was doing anything and everything I possibly could in high school. I did uh, make sure I focused on my grades. I joined the Air Force ROTC, uh, played numerous sports. And then it just so happened that I started getting really good at football. And I got my first offer to end of my junior year to Virginia Tech, matter of fact, first school. And then it kind of blew up between junior and senior year. And then I get the tech, and I'm like, well, I'm here. Might as well get this diploma. <laughs> so I worked my tail off in the classroom, and I came in in shape and ready to go. Had the opportunity to play as a true freshman. Played every special teams rep as a freshman. Very few reps on defense, maybe like 28 reps total in the cleanup duty. Then my sophomore year, I started like three games, uh, still special teams. And then junior year, we made the move from the Big East to the ACC. And I still say that's probably the biggest thing that could have happened to myself in the, my career. Uh, we were on TV every week, and we started playing teams that threw the ball. The, Big East, the old Big East was the team that really ran the ball, except for uh, Miami and another team that threw the ball a lot. But other than that, that was a tough, a tough lead that just ran the ball. ACC, it opened up. They started passing the ball, running a lot of different offenses, and we were on TV all the time, and I, I stepped up, and we played well in that first game of the ACC uh, season against USC at, at Redskins Stadium. And then from that point, it was off and running, and I was like, huh. Started getting attention. My parents started calling me like, hey, you had a couple financial advisors and agents calling. I'm like, huh, that's interesting. <laughs> and then I started getting, <laughs> getting some attention. Um, coaching staff here at Tech, like, hey, the, the Skins or whoever he was here, you know, kind of checking you out. I'm like, huh, really? <laughs> so 
Uh, like I said, we had a we had I think we had the, the most guys drafted in one year at Tech in '06. It was like nine or eleven guys, so it was tons of guys that was coming to see. And then in the season, start getting the accolades, the, the ACC and all American, all that stuff. Like, man, I might have a chance to really go and play at the next level. And then senior year kind of takes off again, and then find myself drafted in the second round. <laughs> so, so oh, do, do you remember what draft day was like? Did you think you had a shot to go in the first? Like, yeah, I did. I, I, that was that was the word I was coming out um, from my agent and. Some some sites it said it said first it said late first uh, second round pick, and then also too we had it was a run on guys D lineman in the first round all of them from the ACC it was Manny, it was Mario, it was Cameron Wembley, it was Matthias Kiwanuka, uh, I think the only one that wasn't from the ACC was Tomba, <laughs> and all those guys went from pick number one with Mario down to pick twenty five or so. Um, and I was the only DN taken in the second round. It just after that it went quiet. So, but the draft day was the longest day of my life. Why? Because like, the draft it was two it was two days at that point in time. So the draft started the first day, and I was rounds one, one through three, I believe it was. And then yeah, oh yeah, I remember Sunday, that. Yep, second day was four through seven. So draft started at noon. I don't think I got drafted like eight thirty that night. So I went through every emotion, like excited, uh, juiced up, ready to go. Now I'm frustrated. Now I'm like, what? What are they gonna pick me? Then feeling like, what is going on here? And then I wasn't even in the house when they drafted me. At that point, I was just getting frustrated. So my brother, older brother, and I uh, took a walk down the street, and then all you heard is my dad's whistle. Like you hear my dad whistle from anywhere in the neighborhood. <laughs> so he whistles, and. We come sprinting down the street, and they say, you're on the phone call, brother. You got drafted by Seattle. So just an extremely long day on, on that draft day. But like I said, it, it was a unique experience. I would love to get my draft tape. You know how they do Mel Kuyper and those guys? I would love yeah. to see that. I, only, I didn't even get a chance to see that because I wasn't even in the house. Wait, so <laughs> – all right, it's just to be clear. So you actually missed the phone call of you be actually being drafted. Yes, my dad. My dad answered the house phone, the cordless, the cordless house phone at a point in time. <laughs> I didn't get a cell phone until my second year in college, second semester in college. So you had a cell phone, they just didn't give it to you. No, 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 no. I did not have a cell phone. It was a cordless house phone. I didn't have a, house, a cell phone in, in high school. When I got, well, yeah, college, but we're talking my, about the NFL now. Oh, in the NFL, yeah, I had a cell phone. Well, but I'm saying you missed your draft phone call, right? Yes. Right. So, like, you would have had that. So, you didn't have a cell phone until your second year in the league? Yeah, yeah, I did miss that. Yep. I now understand you're talking about. Yep. My cell phone was in the house, but they didn't oh. call. They weren't calling my cell phone. They called, my, uh, they called the house phone where I was at because okay. cell phones weren't that great. It was spotty at that point in time, remember? Yeah. Yep. So, are you just like, oh, my God, I missed, like, my life-changing moment and I was out for a walk? I wasn't. I was like, oh, shoot, they really drafted me. <laughs> they could have sent a message by a pigeon for all I care. I got drafted. <laughs> Had you been to Seattle ever at that point, or was this kind of completely new to you? I knew absolutely nothing about Seattle. I had no clue where it was. Got drafted, talked on the phone to Coach Holmgren, to play, the player personnel, Mo Kelly, uh, and then hung up the phone. I was like, I got drafted to Seattle. That is amazing, but 
where is Seattle? Oh my God, it's on the other side of the world. <laughs> oh, wait a minute, there was a Super Bowl last year. Okay, this would be cool. So it was like a, was a bunch of emotions that was going on. I was trying to figure out what was really happening. Uh, because one thing that I used to always tell people when they asked, like, hey, Daryl, you know, you're going to be, you're going to be drafting the NFL. I mean, where would you want to go? You, that happens. I'm like, I really don't care. As long as it's somewhere close to where I can get home to my family and my family come see me. And then God laughed at me. He, he sent me to Seattle. <laughs> the furthest <laughs> possible away from Virginia. <laughs> so, <laughs> so when you get out there, like, what's that like? Because, like you said, you didn't even really get have a true grasp of where it was until I'm guessing you probably land there a, a few days yeah. after. Landed in SeaTac, and it wasn't like a, uh, it wasn't like it is now to where you know they do the the press conference and all that stuff. When I got there, we was into work, yeah, because because it was such a, a long flight, they weren't gonna waste guys' time. That was flying out there, and those and at that point in time too, all season started March the 18th, so it was a full month or so earlier than it is now. And then with them making to the Super Bowl, they had just got done February the fourth, so those guys had like three three weeks off, three, four weeks off, and then they were right back at it. So when I got out there, it was slow pace. Cause like I said, it was a veteran team. So they didn't want to break those guys off so early in the off season process. So I got out there and I was right into work with those guys and just an awesome place. Like totally different in Virginia or anything else I've really experienced furthest away I've ever been. Um, so I just kind of took it all in because at the end of the day, it was still just ball. That's, that's what it was all about. I, I clung to my rookie teammates and the director of player personnel, Mo Kelly, who's still there now. Like that's my guy. He's still on my security stuff to this day. I mean, because he's always been in my corner. Uh, but it was just it was just, it was a perfect setup for where I needed to go. Big city feel. Well, big city, but a small town feel. Do you still have like do you still have places that you're like, man, I love that place in Seattle. I still go there. Like I don't know the last time you've been back to Seattle, but all the time. My my wife is from Seattle. Okay. So her, her parents still live out there, so we go as much as we can. Uh, we probably went two two years ago. Okay. No, actually, we went last year. I take that back. We went last year for a wedding in March. <laughs> went last year for a wedding in March, and uh, we still get food shipped every night. And not every night, but every uh, holiday, whether Thanksgiving or Christmas, from the Pikes Fish Market. Really? Yeah. They take they still take care of me to this day. Uh, and the food is phenomenal. They take care of the family uh, when they call and overnight the stuff right to you. Is there a specific stand that you like that you have? That you're like, that's my spot. Yep, fresh the fresh fish mar- the fresh fish market right in the middle. So okay. the main one where everybody throw the fish that's that's the that's the one on the end. Yeah, ours is ours is more so. It's almost directly in front of where the original Starbucks is. Okay, but it's in, but it's inside the fish market. <laughs> Yeah, so yeah, those guys they they still recognize me to this day, which is which is hilarious. They've seen oh, really, they me still they still know who you are. Like, have you given them like a jersey yeah. at this point, or still? Yeah, I'm definitely taking care of them. But Seattle fans are just like that. Like, if you go out there and you handle business on the field, you're a positive impact in the community, and of course you play well. I mean, they'll love you for life. It's no different in Virginia Tech. That's yeah. why I say it was a perfect place for me to go because the the standard was the exact same. Like, I didn't have to come in there and remake myself or do anything different. I just had to be myself. 
and handled my business the way I was taught and raised, and I fit right in. What's your What's the memory that stands out to you the most from Seattle? Shoot, so many. Um, um, that's a toughie. I, okay, I'll say rookie year. I was able to learn how to be be a man. I was able to be able to learn how to be a young man at Tech. Uh, far no setting my own schedule for the most part, uh, balancing schoolwork and and other activities. Once I got to tech, I mean, once I got to Seattle, I really had to learn how to be a man. I had to learn how to pay my bills, how to write checks, how to maintain the household myself, um, how to take care of my car myself, like things that I would definitely lean on my parents and my older brothers for it wasn't as convenient now because now i'm in seattle completely different ends of the of the uh of the u.s and it's a three-hour time difference so when i called them a lot of times they were asleep when they called me it was the same thing so i literally had to learn how to stand up on my own uh that's probably the first thing and then the second thing i was able to meet my wife uh tiffany she definitely um Made made life a lot easier. <laughs> as far as she was, she now she was now the lady in my life that that you know, not honorable. I mean, even to to my last year playing football, and even now as a coach, she'll call me out on stuff. I never forget when I played for for Philly, and we had we was in a two minute situation, and after the game, she had me like, hey, we was in the uh, two minute in the first half, like. That spin movie did I saw it. I'm like, yeah. She like, well, well, why'd you do it so slow? Like, why did <laughs> why you why'd you do this? <laughs> so she played, she was an athlete at Syracuse. So it's not like she was just along for the ride. She brought she brings a lot to the table. Uh, from a relationship and athletic standpoint, that you know, she helped, she helped definitely helped me along this journey. Well, I mean, she did go to the better school. <laughs> hey, you know, you know the Syracuse guy. We've talked about this before. We beat we, we be Syracuse. <laughs> well, I'm aware. I'm aware. I'm just saying, you know, I, I'm just saying, Syracuse, you know, overall. <laughs> no, nah, but those are probably just the two things about about Seattle that uh, probably my best, best memories there. So when you get traded, are you pissed? Are you so you got traded yeah. Philly in ten? Are furious. you furious? Furious. I'm still furious to this day. For real? I am. Now hindsight, it definitely worked out. But furious, because as a player, you want to start your career and end your career in the same place. I mean, that's the dream. Mm-hmm. And I was well on my way. Uh First year drafted, the young pup. I came in, did a lot of reps, learned behind Grant Wisham and Bryce Fisher. Went to my second year, went a starting job. They end up trading Bryce away. They bring Patrick Kearney in. So now Patrick Kearney and myself are the starters. I end up having seven sacks, seven and a half sacks, something like that. And then the next year, they're already trying to replace me. That's the name of the game. That's when you start understanding that it's a business. They brought in the first round draft pick. Um, he won the job out of training camp. I won the job back about game three. Uh, and then Kearney goes down. So now it's myself and him uh, starting in, in 
So now I'm learning how to be a leader in a whole different way, a lot faster than what I thought necessarily. Um, year four, I have another good year uh, in the midst of us being bad. Year three and four, bad team-wise. We ended up going four, four and 12 and then five and 11 when Coach Moore came in that final year. Uh, but I had done enough to warrant a, a big payday. Um, Jim Moore Jr. gets fired. They bring in Pete Carroll. And I go get married to Tiffany in, at, at Disneyland. Come back two weeks later, traded. <laughs> I'm like, what, what just happened here? Like, my life has literally changed on so many different levels, literally within two to three weeks. Now I got a, I got somebody else that I'm I'm accountable for in a wife, and now I'm having to uproot her, uproot myself. So I've been there for four years now, and moved to Philly. Um. So, but it was, on the flip side of that, you're excited about the opportunity because somebody wanted me. They traded for me. Yeah. I think they end up getting like two draft picks and a player for me. Uh. So I get to Philly and I'm and trying to fig, figure out and sort through that stuff. We kind of get to the season. I start playing uh, firmly because Philly is loaded at this point in time. Like, they, they probably got two or three first-rounders on the D-line. They just drafted one when they traded for me. Like, there's a lot of moving pieces going on. Um, and then that in that season, we end up, I end up getting in the swing of things. We make a run at it. We lose to Green Bay in the first round of uh, the playoffs. And then going into my second year, that's when you had the lockout. Yeah. So now that's that's kind of halted, but at the same time, it's like football like it used to be. Like you literally prepared in your backyard, found different ways to get yourself ready to go. Almost like where we are now with the coronavirus. Like sports and everything has stopped for us. But at some point in time, you got to figure that you're going to be able to get a handle on what's going on and continue to move forward uh, as a nation. And they're going to give us the go-ahead to, to get ready to go. They're going to give us the go-ahead to get ready to go, and we got to be ready. So that's one thing I'm emphasizing to our players at Tech. Like, hey, and the same thing Coach Fuente and the rest of the staff. Like, at some point, they're going to give us the go-ahead. we got to be ready to go. Uh, so we get into it. We play well that season. Coach Washburn comes in, uh, and we're off and running. So, yeah, um, that's just to hit on one thing really quick, I mean, have you guys talked much about like what like what could happen this year as far as like whether it's a condensed preseason or condensed the kind of preseason workouts for you guys or has have you guys even as a staff started to talk about that stuff yet? Yeah, we talked about it a little bit, but you no, know, right now the biggest thing for our guys is make sure the academics are together. Yeah, because like I said, at some point in time they're gonna give us a go ahead to go. Hopefully, I mean, prayerfully you would think so, uh, but. They give us the go-ahead to go, and our academics aren't where they need to be. It's going to be big problems. So, like I said, making sure our kids, the first and foremost, besides football, whether we're healthy or not, like, these kids need to get their diploma. Like, that's the main thing of going to college. You have to get out of college with your degree. That's all we're about. That's all we're preaching. So, there's been very little football talk to the kids at this point in time. And like I said, that's why I say most time I wake up at 7 o'clock, get my workout in, and then after that, I'm calling my kids to make sure they have a plan for the day. And then make sure they got a plan for the day at the end of the day to make sure everything was accomplished. Uh, but we have, as staff, started talking about it a little bit, but kind of that's, that's going to be something that's a, above my pay grade as far as the NCAA and the, the powers that be, as far as if there's going to be 
kind of like organized team activities in the NFL where we do football drills without the ball, with the ball. If we'll get the spring practices back or they'll shorten up training camp or shorten season, like that's all that stuff is above my pay grade. I just kind of hear that stuff third third talk down the line. <laughs> so get back to the NFL career. You get, you know, you're in Philly for three years. You're in Washington for a season where you yep. play in 11 games. Then you get to Detroit in 2014. What's that like at that point? Because at that point, Jim Caldwell is coming in. Obviously, Wash is still there. What What are you anticipating at that point? Because you end up spending, you know, two years in Detroit, and and you and you made an impact on a lot of guys like Ziggy and and some of the other yeah. younger players. Well, for me at at that point, it was a it was a a, a prayerful thank you because at the end of the Redskins year. I thought the football was over. Um, I had signed with the Skins in 13, uh, had a really good preseason. And then the first game we lose to Philly and then kind of disappeared from the rotation. Like, and, and with that said, I, mean, I, I was playing playing with Kerrigan and Arakpo, both of those guys, tremendous players. And outside, as outside linebackers, you don't rotate like you do as a defensive lineman. Yeah. Um, so I didn't really get a bunch of reps there, played special teams, but I literally thought that after year seven, year seven, that was year seven? Yeah. Year eight? Seven, eight, one eight. or two. I, eight. That was year eight. I was like, I, football might be done. It's, it's over, man. It's been a heck of a run. Like, I've done eight years as an NFL player. And then literally the first day of free agency, Coach Washburn calls me. And Coach Washburn has always been my guy. He, he was the first coach uh, to coach me coming out of college. Uh, and in the, the senior bowl, the, the Titans had my, had my team uh, in Mobile. And he was the first guy to really give me some true NFL coaching uh, from a technique standpoint and from a, cri- a critiquing standpoint. <laughs> but uh, that's a man to this day I would run through a wall for. He called me on the first day of free agency to check in on Tiff and the kids. Uh, well, kid at that point in time, and to check to see how I was doing. And he said, are you ready to roll? Are you healthy? I said, yes, sir. He said, all right. You're flying you out to Detroit. And I get to Detroit, and physical and everything goes well. Coach Jim Caldwell signs off on it, and now I'm there. And such a such a pivotal a pivotal point in my career. Uh, I was able to, to truly appreciate what I, I was able to do get coached by somebody I 100% trusted. Uh, and then, like I said, the genuine love I have for Coach Caldwell, I mean, is per- perfect storm. And I was able to play against guys like for guys like Ziggy and Sue and Jason Jones and Devin Taylor and C.J. Mosley and Larry Webster and like, just be a mentor to young guys and, 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 and continue to, to play the game that – genuinely love. So that's why you saw even more passion than I normally have because, like I said, I thought it was over after that Redskins year. So it was literally no holding back of absolutely anything uh, from that point on. Because I really, I really understood that this game could literally be over. So <laughs> you, that, was a, that was a unique moment. You had been on some good teams in the past. You know, there's a couple of years in yeah. Seattle specifically. You get to Detroit in 14 – there's a lot of talk that that was maybe the best team that has been in Detroit since maybe the 90s. Like, what was it about that team, even though y'all didn't win a playoff game or nothing like that, that maybe made right. that team so good? Jim Caldwell. 
Jim Caldwell. He treated everybody on that team like a grown man. And he had, believe it or not, he had a relationship with every person on that team. Like, truly, if I were to call Coach Caldwell right now, he would answer. Like, it's the kind of guy he was. And that thing filtrated through the entire team. Uh, from the work as we had, was able to build chemistry with one another, build trust in one another. And I know the defensive line, like we still had a, I told you before, we still had a, the defensive line uh, group chat going from 2014 that is actively being text at least once or twice a week. Still today? Still today. Like it's just the, the relationship there that we had built in Detroit that year was unreal. And it was just as good in, in 15 far as their communication and trust but the level like it didn't matter if you were the top dog or the, the last guy they signed on the d-line we held each other accountable it was nothing for me to call out sue or for sue to call out jj or jj to call out ziggy and like i said one no egos guys like my fault i take care of it and we went out there and played ball next play like we didn't care who made the play just somebody made the play and we we're all going to celebrate like we made the play <laughs> I still celebrate now when I see Sue make a play on, on TV. That's just a genuine love and brotherhood we have for one another. So that's what truly happened. Coach Caldwell came there and changed everything about Detroit football at that point in time. He got guys that were there to buy in. If you didn't buy in, he got you out of there in a respectful manner. <laughs> he brought four guys in there uh, to buy in, and we just took off, man. Like, do when you look back at it, do you what could that team have done had you guys won in in Dallas? You think? Oh, that was one of the years. That first year in Philly, when Mike got the job back. That first year in Detroit, uh, with Coach Caldwell. Those were my two Super Bowl years. I truly believe it. We had everything together. We we dropped the ball before that playoff game. We dropped the ball in Green Bay. We gave up our first hundred yard rusher. We're still what top ten in rushing defense in the history of the NFL. Yeah. Put that in perspective. <laughs> we were dominating guys, and we gave up a hundred-yard rusher uh, against Green Bay. I think it was Eddie Lacy. Yep. And that game dropped us from being either the one or two seed down to the six seed, having to go to Dallas. Can you imagine how ridiculous it would have been to have the first playoff game in Detroit as a number one seed? <laughs> like it would have been unreal. But so that's that's one issue. And then we got to Dallas, and we got we got up on those guys. And the worst thing we do did was let them score before the half. And we seemed like we lost our momentum. Uh, we had some busts on defense. Uh, we had a shank punt. And then that last drive, we had a couple more busts and coverage. And then Sue and Tahir ended up getting, I think, a roughing a rough and a necessary roughness penalty, one on the tackle, one on the quarterback, and that was all she wrote, man. It was, it was a tough one, still a tough one to this point, but yeah, we, we let we let it get out of the hand when we didn't take care of business in Green Bay in the last game in Green Bay. I was gonna say, does that still not does that still not you to this? It sounds like it still bugs you a bit, you know. No doubt. No doubt. Cause cause that was one of those years, like everything was set up the way it's supposed to be. Like we had won so many games that year just outright dominating people on defense. And then we had won so many games that year uh, where the ball literally just bounced our way. Like, if you look at the film, we probably shouldn't have won that, that, that New Orleans game before we went to London. Right. We probably shouldn't have won that game against uh, Atlanta 
in London. No, you shouldn't have won that game. You, the only reason that, that y'all won that game in London was because Prater got called for a delay of game on a field goal. <laughs> yep. And then we had issues. We had we had an issue like Nick Nick hurt his knee in London. Uh, CJ had an issue. CJ Mosley had an issue. I had to go play defensive tackle. Uh, think I don't think Calvin played in the New Orleans game. No, or the Atlanta uh, game. Or the Atlanta game. So ooh, there's so many things that we overcame as a team. Uh, throughout the year, was like, this is the year. Like, all the two, all the Super Bowl teams you I've ever seen in my lifetime, the ball bounced their way numerous times throughout that year. So, like I said, that confidence, that confidence we had on defense, that's where it started. Not to knock Stafford in the offense, but that those two years, that especially that year, the team was the defense, and everybody else on the team and in the stands fed off the defense. So. When we started continuing to play well and the balls kept bouncing our way in different situations, like this is the year. I like to usually end these conversations on this. Like, who was the best trash talker you ever faced? Wow. Uh, I guess Phillip Rivers. Him or, him or A-Rod. Why? What did they say? Is there one thing that like stood out that you're like, oh man, that that really got me, or that made me crack up, or? <laughs> no, I think just just things in between in between plays. Um, and in order to be a good trash player, you got to be an elite player, and those two guys are, and were, <laughs> Rogers and uh, and um, Rivers. Rivers, they're both playing at a high level now. Rivers now with a different team in the Colts and. Rodgers is probably going to be a first battle Hall of Famer with Green Bay. Those guys are playing at elite level still to this day. So the fact they were making plays and, and, and chirping a little bit here and there uh, definitely added to it. But total respect for those guys. But they're probably, they're probably two that probably were the probably the best trash talkers in the league. Other than that, everybody else just probably didn't play ball for the most part. Did they ever probably speak it to you? No, I really, I really got into trash talk. Uh, there's a couple of guys I know when we played not in Seattle, and I think it was Bushrod. He was a, he was a offensive tackle for the Saints. He had got one or two one or two good blocks on me in the first first uh, first quarter. He started chirping up. I'm like, oh, okay, game on. <laughs> what he said? Same so thing. Actually, we got out there. Or I can't. I can't. Yeah. 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 A few things piss me off. Not gonna say any word. It was all in all in love with the game. It wasn't anything outside the field, but yeah, that's that got me going. But for the most part, just play play ball, man. It was it was a, a a unique opportunity that few people get to experience and forever be a part of that fraternity. Hey, Daryl, man, thanks for coming on the show. I really appreciate it, and uh, we'll have you back again, hopefully, once uh, football starts coming back. Oh, no problem, man. Thanks for having me. I always got your back. Awesome, man. Hey, I appreciate it. All right. I'd like to thank my guest on today's show, former Lions, Eagles, Washington, Seattle, and New Orleans defensive lineman Daryl Tapp. You can follow him on Twitter and on Instagram at DTAP55. That's D-T-A-P-P-5-5. You can follow me on Twitter and on Instagram at Mike Rothstein. You can follow me on Facebook at Michael Rothstein Journalist. 
And you can follow the show at The Michael Rothstein Show on Facebook. Remember, give us a hand, you know, kind of, if you can, drop us a five-star review. Subscribe, download to the podcast. All of those things help. You can do that on Apple, Google, Spotify. Help us so that way we can help you by getting better guests. And with that, we will talk with you on Monday.